0: Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup Episode 85 for the week ending Monday, November 28th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Masugu. Glad you could join me. In this week's show, I speak to Dr. Bukosi Marivate, a data scientist and senior researcher at South Africa's Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, or the CSIR, about the trend towards countries legislating that the personal information of their citizens be hosted on servers within their borders. We had a great chat about that, so don't miss it. But before we get to it, I'll do a quick rundown of trending stories from the past week, minus some of the more detailed pop analysis and opinionated commentary I usually serve up alongside the news, simply because the team and I are prepping to cover SAP's executive digital exchange happening at the 12 Apostles Hotel in Cape Town on Wednesday and Thursday, November 30th and December 1st. So yeah, we're pretty bogged down, but Rather than break our 85-week publishing streak, I thought we'd at least come at you with some highlights to hold you down. But you know me, I'm pretty chatty, so we'll see how it goes. But before we get into all that, let's do this. This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by the African Tech Conversation Series which features in-depth chats with leading figures from Africa's tech and innovation scene. We're happy to announce that the next season of the series lands in just two weeks and will feature the likes of Solomon Osefa, who's the director of IBM Research on the Continent, Aline Blarboa, who's managing partner at TBL Mirror Fund and Safaricom Spark Venture Fund, as well as Chad Larson, the co-founder and chief credit officer at MCoPA. Yep, it's fixing to be a pretty awesome season indeed. In the meantime, do catch up on some of the interviews you might have missed by heading to africantechroundup.com and clicking on African Tech Conversations in the main menu or search for African Tech Conversations on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or any other great podcatcher out there. Right, so on to the news. A big shout out to Senegal, which uh, became the second African country after Tunisia to adopt an electronic currency last week. The new currency is called ECFA and is built on blockchain technology. ECFA will be equivalent in value to the country's physical money and made available across all mobile money and e-wallet platforms. Now the currency will be issued by the Central Bank of the West African Economic and Monetary Union uh, and will be rolled out in partnership with an organization called eCurrency Mint Limited. Now, it's expected to improve transparency and interoperability issues that previously made it tricky to manage all the mobile money services provided by the country's mobile telcos, uh, which, are of course, run using different systems, and uh, it should also make it easier uh, for users to deal with one another across these platforms. So yeah, speaking of virtual currency, though, it's uh, long been argued that Zimbabwe might very well be the continent's best use case for the introduction of virtual currency, uh, given the persistent economic troubles my home country has had. But um, uh, it doesn't seem to be on the cards just yet. Uh, As of Monday, though, the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe uh, started floating a physical currency called bond notes with a value pegged at 1 to 1 with the US dollar. Now, the RBZ has said that it will initially release bond notes in $2 denominations uh, while also introducing $1 bond coins. Um, They say that this is, quote, in line with the bank's thrust to promote a cashless society through the use of plastic money. Um, They've limited withdrawals of these bond notes to a maximum of $50 per day and a maximum of of $150 per week. They say for that reason, to promote, you know, a cashless society – um i'm sure there are many other reasons why they'd limit that amount um let's see how cashless a society zimbabwe becomes in the wake of all this uh, but shout out to my people then uh, a big congratulations to friend of the show trevor wolf and his team at delve.io for closing a 6.5 million rand investment round uh, that's roughly 467 thousand dollars. now delve.io is a marketing and advertising feedback crowdsourcing company. And the funding they've received comes courtesy of H-A-V-A-I-C, or I I think. Delve basically helps clients source feedback from a pretty solid database of creative pros for things like advertising campaign concepts. There's quite a slick operation they run. And the last time we had Trevor on the show some months ago, he and his co-founder, Grant Rock, were busy trying to close this deal. So cheers, fellas. Well done to you. Now, for all you fans of Airbnb who've been hoping they'd start handling more than just accommodation, uh, well, you can pop a bottle because Airbnb has launched something called Trips uh, that's intended to help people not only plan where to stay, but what to do when they get there and uh, and help connect with you know cool people and great experiences. Now, flight bookings aren't yet part of the offering, but I reckon they'll add that on soon enough. Now, Trips aims to help travelers access relatively unique experiences in places all over the world, and they've launched with 500 experiences in 12 cities around the world, including Nairobi and Cape Town. So you can expect the service to feature stuff like, you know, opportunities for guests to give back to communities through nonprofits, insider guidebooks allowing for cultural experts and neighborhood insiders to recommend, you know, hidden gems within their cities, and then through a partnership with Reezy, users will be able to book seats at local restaurants through the Airbnb app. Now, all this should do a lot to build um, on Airbnb's momentum. Uh, They have a whopping 3 million homes uh, listed uh, across 191 countries. Quite a feat. Let's see how well this goes. Do let me know if you've ever used the service. I'm yet to use Airbnb. With my wife actually planning some holidays for the coming year, it might be something I look into. Now, staying with international news, Reddit's co-founder and CEO Steve Huffman has apologized, or at least indicated that he's Um, at least a little sorry for using his administrative powers to secretly edit user comments that were critical of him on a popular pro-Trump forum or subreddit as they're called now what he basically did was swap all the mentions of his username with names of the pro-Trump group's leaders meaning that when people posted expletive laden posts aimed at him it looked like they were insulting the group's leaders now this was obviously not a smart move at all for the dude Uh, reddit is hardly the sensation on the african continent that it is is in Europe and the U.S., but in my view, this has dented the platform's credibility. I mean, for a platform that's often criticised for just how quote neutral they are in terms of not censoring even some of the most repulsive, divergent sentiments that are publicly posted on the internet, this is kind of out of character and and perhaps disappointing for you know some of the proponents of of neutrality that um, often put you know rated up as a as a poster child for how not to censor. But um, Huffman claims that he, quote, had his fun with these people and that they had fun with him, um, but that Reddit won't tolerate harassment. But I wonder just how, quote, fun and innocent we'd consider such meddling if, say, Mark Zuckerberg did it, or worse, a government someplace did it. There's no doubt that the internet is the wild, wild west, but um, high-profile leaders like Steve Huffman would do well to approach their positions of power with I think a tad more responsibility. So, South Africa, now where the Department of Home Affairs has partnered with Statistics South Africa to digitize 286 million records dating back to as late as the 1800s. Now, 90% of these would be paper records. We're talking everything from birth certificates to marriage certificates id applications to death certificates now it's said that birth certificates will be prioritized and we're talking something like 110 million of these so the government aims to digitize 5.8 million birth records a year Uh, they want to introduce efficiency by creating a centralized database that can be accessed from anywhere in the country and of course eliminate the now exorbitant cost of maintaining these paper files certainly sounds good to me Staying with South African tech news, uh, Amazon is rumored to be in talks to acquire the Dubai-based online retailer Souq.com. That's S-O-U-Q.com for about 1 billion US dollars and a deal that would give uh, Amazon a giant footprint in the high-growth Middle Eastern market. Now, why do we care? Well, only because Souq.com is partly owned by Tiger Global Management as well as NASBETS. Now, souk.com has reportedly appointed Goldman Sachs to find buyers for a share of the company and... uh Both Tiger Global Management and NASPERS are said to be weighing the pros and cons of cashing out. And we all know NASPERS is hurting right now. No small thanks to its limping cable TV businesses, as well as uh, uh, thanks to the massive capital injections they've been making in order to grow their VOD platform, Showmax. Sook.com is certainly keeping mum about this and knowing Amazon's willing to make an official statement. Don't quote me on this, but I'm betting something is about to go down. Now, staying with South African news, you remember South Africa's hashtag data must fall campaign, right? You know, the public outcry against South African mobile telcos allegedly overcharging customers for data. Well, you might also remember the flak I got for pointing out how unconstructive it might be to talk about mobile data pricing without taking into account issues like network capacity constraints, capital investment required to grow and maintain those networks, population size, demand and supply, usage trends, you know, to take all of this into account when comparing data costs uh, in various African countries. Now, I was also criticized for questioning the motives of the campaign celebrity champion, DJ Tabo Mulefe, aka Tibo Touch, who helped to take the matter all the way to South Africa's parliament before absolutely nothing happened. So now guess what? Surprise, surprise. Tibo Touch has recently launched Uh, online radio station touch central is now zero rated on the mtn network it's a development that tibo touch is actually touting as a win for the people now come now he's saying that mtn has listened to the cries of south africans and that data bundle prices should come down soon (laughs) no wait wait we all already knew that data prices would come down it's a given again i'll mention that i i cannot vouch for the profiteering that I even I suspect the mobile telcos have engaged in over the years. But I I do think that we this is more an economics issue than anything else. Nonetheless, I have to agree with Salomoloy's assessment of the situation in his article written for iAfrican.com. He reckons that this deal has sellout written all over it and that the word capture may just fit when it comes to MTN silencing their loudest critic. In fact, silencing would be the wrong word. MTN recruiting their biggest critic to become essentially their champion. Now, you've got to hand it to MTN. They've played this one really well, Shem. And while MTN South Africa has been cozying up to a DJ, Safaricom has been drawing heat from one of Kenya's most popular gospel artists, a certain Eunice Njeri, who has accused Safaricom of owing her a busload of money in royalties for her music. Now, this is just a week after Safaricom subscribers uh, accused the company of stealing their credit. Now, Njeri recently took to Instagram, posting a payment log amounting to 30 million kenyan shillings which is just under three hundred thousand dollars in royalties which apparently haven't been paid to her every month now, i have to admit that i'm a little unsure uh, given her post as to whether she's being stiffed by safaricom or perhaps there's something dodgy going on between you know her management or perhaps her label but here's my suggestion safaricom capture the lady with a lifetime ambassadorship you know lebron james style or just pay up if you actually owe her money how about that hmm? To Cameroon now, where the government has launched a campaign against social media, which, according to the government-controlled daily, the Cameroon Tribune is, quote, fast becoming a threat to peace and a secret instrument of manipulation, unquote. Um, They're claiming that social media is being used for, quote, character destruction, destabilization of public opinion, and defamation, among other things. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) the newspaper published a special edition entitled, The Downward Spiral of Social Media Has Reached Alarming Levels. And in this special edition, uh, the newspaper claims that social media can be dangerous for society if no measures are taken to scale it down. The newspapers also said this is especially true with elections fast approaching and with that, the potential for people with political ambitions using social media to fight their opponents. I'm trying to grapple with why battling a political opponent on social media might be a bad thing. But okay, so let me just follow this through. Now, you remember how I asked if Facebook contributed to the successful campaign uh, Donald Trump ran to become president of the United States? Well, to me, the story highlights a flaw in my own reasoning when I argued that Facebook did in fact assist Trump to win. Uh, you know, look, firstly, I'm clearly biased because... I've, I never once questioned the legitimacy of social media when it helped Barack Obama into office, for example. So uh, clearly this is also a matter of a candidate that I p- probably would have preferred not to become president, having become president, and then looking around to see who, who to blame. Okay, so that um, I have to admit. Look, you can still argue the fact that... In Obama's case, it's not as though fake news promoting his agenda was a big factor in getting him elected. I guess we have to be honest about the fact that we probably wouldn't be as critical of Facebook if the candidate we wanted to win had won. And in my case, um, it's not that I was rooting for Hillary necessarily. I just wasn't rooting for, for Donald Trump. Uh, here's the more important issue for me how fundamentally different is the call being made by cameroon state-owned tv and print media to regulate social media to the calls to regulate platforms like facebook twitter and reddit i i don't think there's much of a difference i mean wouldn't regulating social media whatever that means allow certain powers political or otherwise the ability to set a moral political and socio-economic agenda And why would we want that? My thing is, we're never going to eliminate false information or the ridiculous nastiness that we tend to find on social media platforms. And we may need to accept that while it comes with significant rubs, the upside is greater. And typically, it's the social benefits um, on the upside list that the world's most powerful people typically have an issue with. And so Cameroon, that said, I really don't get you railing against social media. And to the rest of us who've Uh, perhaps criticize social media platforms for not doing more to sort of uh, protect people from harassment, etc. Maybe we need to start thinking about um, how far the pendulum could swing in the opposite direction if we lobbied for, you know, regulation of social media in any shape or form, because it could very well swing in a direction that we don't anticipate or like. And so that's the week's news, folks. As promised, I'm going to share a chat I had with Bukosi Marivate a data scientist and senior researcher at South Africa's Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, whose comments on Twitter about last week's coverage of Russia's decision to block LinkedIn for not abiding by Russian law, demanding that personal information of citizens be hosted on servers within their borders. uh, Well, that led to a lively exchange on social media. And as if on cue, some legislation has been passed into law this past week in the UK, Uh, which now requires internet providers to keep a full list of internet connection records or ICRs for a year and make them available to government if and when it asks. Now, government entities like the police, the military, the Secret Service now have unprecedented access to personal information of UK citizens. And uh, that includes a very long list of bodies like the Food Standards Agency, the Gambling Commission, the National Crime Agency as well as revenue and customs. So among other things, Bukosi uh, explains why in the context of such developments, Russia's move to block LinkedIn might be understandable and how for better or for worse, it's likely to influence lawmakers on the continent to push policy in that direction. Take a listen. Wukosi Marivate, or shall I say Dr. Wukosi Marivate, you forgot to tell me that I needed to bring a urine sample and a blood sample because the heck. That's all they didn't ask for <laughs> at the entrance there, man. The security is hectic up in here.
1: Yeah, we are, We have a lot of different units at the CSIR, and some of the things that people work on here is either like you know top secret, classified, and at the same time, I think parts of the CSR is like a national key point, so people have to be authenticated. We need to know who they are. So yeah, normally it's just your ID, not any. If somebody did ask you, for <laughs> bodily <laughs> fluids. Uh. <laughs> so no, no, no. So I can ask them <laughs> what they were doing. So no, no, no,
0: no so I'm, I'm kidding. Everyone listening to this, guys, don't you no need to bring a vial of of something in in your car when you come visit. But man, better have some ID and uh, and come early if you've got an appointment because clearly they're not going to let you in in jail.
1: Yep, that's true. So yeah, so
0: I'm walking up the stairs to your office. Firstly, the campus is beautiful. It really feels like um, a university campus I grew up on in the Philippines when I was much younger. So green and 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 you know it's kind of laid and all. So it just feels like there's a lot happening. It just feels like a lot of feels like right. I haven't been inside any of the buildings or anything. I'm just driving around and it feels like a lot of smart people solving a lot of important things you know and then you you you, i meet you outside you bring me inside and you're pointing to that building over there across from you guys here apparently there's like uh stuff to do with home affairs and 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 just give me a sense give give a sense to someone listening to this uh what the vibe is when you drive onto this campus what you see the sights and sounds no one seems to really know what the csr does actually
1: yeah, so uh, the CSR is a research organization. So it's a government lab, basically, uh, made up of different units and groups in here who work on, on different problems. Uh, the Pretoria campus, where we are right now, is the largest campus in the country, there's campuses um, in Durban, uh, in Cape Town, in Stellenbosch. Uh, I used to work and I started actually, in the one in, in Joburg, in Amarantia. Um, the CSR's main mandate is to do research that's applied to improve the lives of South Africans. Uh, where we are right now, in, in terms of my office, it's in uh, UNIT, UNIT. Uh, There's like a couple of units at the CSR. This unit is called modeling and digital science. And given that word, we do a wide array of things that's basically doing some kind of uh, at the end your modeling. Uh, So, one, uh, we have three uh, major areas information security, which is kind of why you're here, (laughs) Um, um, advanced mathematical modeling, and uh, mobile intelligent autonomous systems which, MIAS, which is uh, actually robotics so the the building you're in is split up into that you're on the side that's mostly information uh, security which is kind of network and data security and um, biometrics so the biometrics guys actually work with uh, home affairs and they they help come up with the spec for the current uh, smart cards uh, in the information security we also have a a, a group here which works on data science um, uh, research and machine learning research and also applications of data science to government problems
0: and so I'm here, as you alluded to, because of information security. We had this conversation. In fact, uh, in, in last week's episode of the African Tech Roundup, we covered the fact that Russia basically shut down LinkedIn for not abiding by their laws regarding uh, having Russian citizen information or personal information hosted on Russian servers. They shut that down. I allu- <laughs> I, I guess they started with LinkedIn because they're pretty much a runt. As, 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 as far as, you know, social media platforms are concerned, I have a feeling they're coming for the likes of Facebook and others. Um, but uh, and then I put out there, you know, you know, I'm not so sure I haven't really applied my mind to thinking about whether this is an over an overreach. And as far as Russia, you know, flexing its sovereignty or not, you reached out on social media and were like, well, you're not so sure it's an overreach in the context of, you know, the European Union. Uh, members in the European Union doing something similar. You sent me an article, which was fantastic, uh, one I can definitely recommend. We shared it on our Twitter. Uh, If you want to check it out, at African uh, Roundup, just find it there. A Computer World UK article that uh, enlightened me to the extent to which uh, EU partners are going to protect the data, well, quote-unquote, we'll talk about this, quote-unquote, protect the data of their citizens. So in your mind, it's only fair that Russia does the same.
1: Uh, Yeah, so... Like, it's not about defending country or not. Um, uh, so, especially where you are right now, we look at information security from the side of a citizen. right? You can look at information security from the side of the government. And that's kind of different. Uh, for us, we have our colleagues who work on the other side of the hill at the defense part who might look at information security from... Uh, the side of government or, or kind of uh, law enforcement. Uh, so when you're doing that, you're, you kind of have to start thinking, uh, if you have your personal information and you share it with somebody, how does the government make sure that it has policies that it protects individuals. So let me give us a simple example. Uh, When I was studying for my PhD in the US, um, because I was living in the US, and I I would sign up for services like my uh, cell phone contract, for example, and I was with a specific network there, and their information, their systems got breached. Because of the laws that apply to the United States and that company being there, they had to either find ways to compensate me if there was something if there was actually going to be any losses that I suffered, and to also try to figure out how to protect me. So a lot of the times breaches happen. If you hadn't noticed before in America, people get free personal uh, information protection. There's companies that do uh, do that type of stuff. And that kind of response from companies is only available if your local laws actually apply to them. So now if I think about South Africa, for example, and your information got breached for whatever service that you're using, and that service is actually based either in, the, in, in, in Europe or in the U.S., you don't really have recourse. You've done an excellent job yeah. of not
0: taking sides in the matter, yeah. um, but also just pragmatically showing why it might benefit a, a, a citizen of any country, that their government shows initiative in trying to protect their data security. I suppose it's difficult to discuss these issues without, you know, global politics filtering into the matter. And, of course, this is Russia we're talking about and perhaps uh, not, uh, I don't know, Sweden or Norway or some country that we don't associate with, like, a, a, a politically heavy presence in, in global politics and that kind of thing. But let's put that aside because I like the train of thought you, you're giving us. So let's assume Russia follows through, and it's clear that they have the intent to, to follow through on this mandate to 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 see that this law is abided by. They insist that any foreign company that has Russian citizens on their database host that content in on Russian servers. What is the implication from a safety point of view outside of, okay, a recourse if there's a breach what benefits are there to uh, a citizen what benefits are there say to the cu- to the country as a whole
1: um so the, the so uh, again i'm going to use this african example yeah within this so we just had the the protection of personal information act uh be signed into law uh, by president jacob Zuma. and it's got specific things about what should happen in the data what the data that you collect and how you should like you know you, you are responsible for security, securing it as a company, and you should collect only the things that you need to collect and nothing more kind of thing. Um, so if something were to happen that contravenes that, in, as for for me as a South African, I wouldn't be able to go to these multinationals and say, hey, you contravened this act in South Africa, can you please please fix it? And maybe another analogous thing would be what happened when it came to um, kind of online shops. Remember before you didn't get VAT charged? And then you know, legislation passed that said digital goods because of the pull of the like, hey, we can do business in South Africa or some of the other African countries. We will make sure that that is added on there. It's the same kind of thing. People will abide to it as per when they see that they might actually lose out. On the, uh, on the market. And for a lot of the African continent, there's a lot of users for, on, on these platforms. And why aren't we then working towards actually having a discussion, which is something where I have not yet seen, even within like, you know, governments in South Africa, to discuss how you bring in and say, hey, uh, make sure the, 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 the data is locally there so that we can then actually, if there's local laws, those actually apply to you because if we know there's been breaches and every time they' are announced, we look at them and we think they don't affect us, but they actually do, we would want to make sure uh, that our citizens are protected. On the other side, which is the flip coin, uh, like, you know, the flip of the coin of this is we could look at a country like China, where right. a company like Google decided to, move, to, to pull out. So if, you're, if, you're, if, if we're saying that maybe a government like Russia could go too far but you had Google pulling out of China for the reasons where it was like, okay, it's fine that you want to have local restrictions, but the restrictions go further than what we as a company, being Google, are willing to go and would rather completely cut off the, 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 yeah, the relationship.
0: And I think when it comes to Russia and the specific cases we discussed last week, I think that's the automatic assumption that the only reason a government might go in this direction is because they want access to that information when they want it or need it, or they want to be in a position to put pressure on, on any given company. Uh, with a database of people, they want to to access to. to they want to be able to have access to it at any given time. But it's not. Uh, I suppose it's not. It's not fair to assume that's the case because you've already made a decent case for for why it's in the in the best interest of the citizen. That said, I do sense that governments around the world, particularly in developing uh, nations, uh, particularly on the continent, I think governments. Uh, around this LTE and 4G wave and, and, and this debate around licenses and, and, and dispersing them in South Africa, the, the white paper, the ICT white paper, and etc. I, I think governments are beginning to realize that they missed the boat maybe on some level uh, in terms of participating in the growth of mobile, which really has been the most... I think the, the mobile telcos on the continent now possess arguably the, the most valuable data sets on the continent and governments are on the outside of that to some extent with no paperwork that allows them or holds these people to account perhaps uh, uh, to, to the extent that we should and i suppose poppy in the context of this law that has come through in in south africa is the, is a start but i do imagine now i'm putting on the hat of of thinking for government and and being you know uh, sympathetic to their cause if I was a government and I wanted some sort of control, even from a national security point of view, this is a conversation we should be having, should, surely.
1: Uh, so earlier this week, I was in Kenya and in Nairobi for uh, the afri Chai conference. I, I was specifically there for a workshop on ethics in social media research. So one of the things we're looking at right now is something that might be kind of open data kind of for data science and doing uh, a lot of uh, analysis that's what we we do here with my team is the social media data because a lot of it is through open apis but at the same time we have to discuss um, um, uh, we have to discuss what are the ethics and the things we should be following in order to not uh do harm and also protect the individuals who are within there because most of our analysis we're looking at the the group the population we're not actually looking at you but at the same time, you can think about it and say, well, on the other side of this thing, you can do mass kind of surveillance. So now if we take social media to its limit, you've got the mobile telcos because they've got all of this data. Some of them, it's also, they, they also have access to payment systems where they know where there's mobile money and all those things. And that's a lot of information about people. Pretty much the only thing they don't have is, <laughs> is, is your blood yeah, s- sample. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they have a lot of that. And there again, yes, you are hoping that the discussion within government, it's about how do we set, set uh, like, you know, put together legislation that allows them to operate freely, meaning that the innovation continues and all that, that stuff, but then make sure that citizens also are protected from, like, you know, any unscrupulous behavior that might happen. Because it's, I don't think things always start because somebody had bad intentions. Somebody might go and say, we want to build this new service. It's going to be great for why, like, you know, why reason? But then five years down the line, it's being completely misused by some other people within that company. And then that's when the thing leaks out and everybody feels like, oh, that's evil and all those things. But there must be ways that when those type of things happen, that we can go back and say, how do we fix this? And at the same time, you must make sure that the companies themselves go through procedures that actually secure. So the same thing as in South Africa, phone numbers, like one of the things that we hope Poppy will Sort out is, I don't know how many calls I've gotten today from unsolicited from people selling me stuff. Right? And I will talk to, to, to MTN, who's my service provider, and say, please remove me from all, all of your, your lists or whatever it is. Every time somebody calls me, I say, but it never stops. I believe some of it is coming from the, from the, from the network operators. It's not just... It's definitely a revenue stream for them. <laughs> you see, exactly. And now it's a question of, fine, you can make money out of this, but does the user even know really it's fine if you say it's in the fine print but do do they understand that you're saying you're going to sell their personal information to third parties and if we were to go out outside csr and stop by um by the traffic light and ask te- 10 people who are just walking past i'm pretty sure none of them will say they understand that that's actually what was going on when they signed up for a service sure
0: so let so help me understand like practically the implications of say um, African nations following the footsteps of what European uh, nations have decided to do and what Russia is clearly deciding to enforce in their country. If we were to attempt to go toe-to-toe with that, what would be some of the unexpected practical implications on day-to-day life, maybe from a startup aspect, in terms of the complexity of just starting something that rec- that needs to adhere to, to government principle or go- government laws? It, would it have a knock-on effect on on the attractiveness of, it, of of this market as a destination for multinationals who are looking to do business here, what sort of things, pain maybe early on in the short term, might we expect if Africa goes in this direction as well?
1: So I, I can speak as a like you know from the law perspective i'm not a lawyer and then two also the other one might be public policy i think people might be those type of people might be better suited for this i can take a stab at it as saying that one it might be very interesting to see like you know you hope some somebody like the a like the um the au would be the ones leading of saying let's standardize the terms across the continent because if we do that it's easier people like you know companies coming from outside don't need to deal with localization, loc- local different variations of this thing. And they'll just say, yeah, we know that we're dealing with um, a block, uh, yeah, like, you know, African states and this is how they deal with things. And that's why I think also the EU went in as a as a as a block to say these are the, the, the laws about personal information. And so as as a block, because you just need to look at that one legislation and then you know how to how to move forward. Uh, there might be ramifications for companies that store the data outside the country and might be, I'm not sure, might also be using that loophole of saying it's, I, the, the, peop, the person signs up for the service, we tell them that the data is going to be stored in a server in the US, and as such, we absolve ourselves from like, you know, any responsibilities to local laws because we don't store anything on a South African server.
0: Okay, so now you've actually answered a question I had in my head as you were speaking. I was like, "What? what is the biggest motivating factor for companies not to, um, ha- aside from the cost, of course, it must be just a mission just to have to serve us all over the world. But aside from the cost, w- why wouldn't companies be doing this anyway? And you've started to answer that question.
1: Yeah, you you could have. That like I don't want to say that's exactly what it might be because you I would have to go in through legislation and say, does it absolve you? Some might say as long as a company's headquartered here, it doesn't matter where the data is. You, are, you still abide by local law, but some places you might find that that's the case. I'm saying other countries on, on the continent, you might find that's the case that it absorbs you of the data response, your security responsibility, because you're saying I don't store anything on here, or it's stored on Amazon, and I, I should I, I shouldn't worry too much about it. Um, it's a um, you have to be very careful about that. Also, on on the side, I think as a as an entrepreneur, if you're building something, yeah, because it it might just be a matter of time that something then does come in, and if you didn't follow proper procedure you still might get bitten like i'm trying I'm actually
0: trying to think of a startup concept that wouldn't require some form of database storage of of, of personal information. I'm having a hard time thinking of a a startup concept that wouldn't involve that
1: and, and that's exactly the case right that it's become it's it's the norm now that you're gonna be collecting some information. I had a very tough time in the morning today i'm gonna throw um trying to connect to the like one of the free internet hotspots today, and they had a thing where initially I, I just used to be able to just connect with my uh, with my email. And I have an email that I just use for things like hotspots that don't identify me uh, or, uh, further on. And then now they put in a requirement that they want the phone number to to do that. And it was very, like I looked at it, it was, trick, it was uh, very clever. They ask you for the phone number and say they're going to send you a, a text to do uh, authentication, but they actually don't. So just by saying, go through, it then says, yeah, you're fine. You're going through. But then you can see that's a little trick
0: yeah, a fairy a fairy definitely died now this uh, this morning, clearly. Yeah,
1: you see? Yeah, like you know, they, they it's a little trick to catch your personal information, which means they're probably using it, as you said, as a revenue stream. We we're like, you know, um uh within there. So that type of stuff is like, okay, fine, you take my information. If you do, uh um have you have you secured it uh, well enough? Because a lot of the times we're hearing Yahoo got ha- like you know, got hacked, and how did it get hacked? You find out that there was a shortcut that somebody took. At one time, and it can 't be just an oops anymore
0: goodness right? and i mean and, and, and to be fair, i mean we we, we talk a lot about iot and the, and the massive potential risk it is as, as the world continues to to you know surf this trend and every but we 're not even getting the basics right no. bruh
1: yeah, no, like uh, we look at iot we've had lots of discussions here with the rest of our kind of the team there's like we have our our, our pen testers our hackers who, uh, who work here, and we've had discussions about that of saying it's very odd I, I was uh, like, you know, when IoT was becoming a thing, I was doing my PhD in machine learning, but uh, in the lab, we were working on uh, Wi Fi connected devices before they became like a, now you have lots of stuff way before then. And one of the things that you could see was like, okay, are we going to be interoperable? Two, you're going to have servers that are just sending stuff to houses and then houses are applying. And then once you start going through that, you're going like, hey, if somebody then hacks my coffee maker, d- my whole network is inside my house, is now vulnerable, right? And But then there is, again, like levels of abstractions way further than, again, the simple, you ask for my email address, you ask for my phone number. Some people are going to take your ID numbers, your passport numbers. Some people are going to take uh, your address where you stay and all those things, and they're going to put it somewhere. And when they get breached, you would like to know, too, You would also like, as I said, like, you also would like to know that they should communicate to you what they're going to do with that data very clearly at the beginning. Right. Instead of being like, fine, the terms and conditions that nobody reads. But you could change it and you could pass, um, like, you know, legislation that says anything that has to touch with A, B, C, D, E must be explained in very basic language and must be prominent when somebody's signing up for the service like that would change a lot of and like whatever color coded saying that if it's like the 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 um the most risky type of personal information it must be in red in bold right and then anything else can be orange and then if it's very like you know unlikely it might just be your your first name they don't take your surname maybe that's green like because that piece of information by itself if it were to to go away it, it might not really identify you but then if you put all these things together it's such a big like risk if it actually gets stolen you know, I just got a chill as you were speaking because I'm realizing. I mean,
0: we've recently just covered how the the mobile networks are the mobile networks are rolling out these big IoT networks. They're investing heavily in that area. You've got private companies doing the same, and they they're selling this huge big thing. They'll be selling into the security industry, the logistics industry, and we don't have laws protecting us on a basic level. Well, I mean, in the case of Poppy, at least it's a start. You know, as far as South Africa is concerned, but really continent wide. They're gonna know where. I mean, your. I mean, your kettle that's linked to, or the brick in your house that's, is gonna be linked to data, that's totally hackable and saleable and and leaves you open for. And so I, I'm beginning to start. I'm beginning to see for myself now, as really as an enthusiast in the space, like the 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 scale of the risk here. It, it's really as is huge, isn't it?
1: So, like one of the things, I, maybe I, I should say. I'm a kind of machine learning researcher. I'm in data science. I love having data. Like, that's something, like, people might say, like, hey, I'm bashing. Like, uh, bashing the area and data is useful and it could be used for all these other things. It could unlock so many new industries. It can Right. My day to day is I have to deal with social media data. I deal with also personal information data that comes from places where I have to make sure it's secure. We have to have policies about how we manage our data here. and uh, when we get it, some might come from municipalities, some of it comes from uh private companies saying we're looking at this, we're trying to solve X. Can you help us? Right? You know, some come from government departments. But we have to go through internal procedures to make sure that I'm not gonna be tomorrow going back to a government department and saying, Oh yeah, somebody got in and and, and took our stuff. So I love having data because that's what I do. I'm talking about information security here because we've had to think about this even when we're doing our machine learning work. Like, to say, how are we going to make sure that we don't expose people? But then, yeah, now when you start going in and saying, okay, there's this thing, IoT, it's a bit of a wild, wild west at the moment. And like, you know, the that, that, uh, other week where the whole like you know half the internet in the US went down and they found out it was a like distributed attack using IoT devices. We kind of saw that coming. It wasn't uh, like you know. It <laughs> and, and, and you not know, you not know wasn't mentioned nearly as much is
0: yeah. all the personal data that was linked to that attack. We we haven't we it was almost in fact it hasn't been covered at all. So we haven't even started to consider the 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 knock on effect in in as far as exposure. Yeah. To, to, uh, as far as personal data is concerned, we, we really just talked about the fact that the, the internet went down.
1: yeah, there a lot of people just looked at that. People aren't going like, "Hey, did the account information that's connected with the service because you might have signed up with whatever service provider for your IOT device, whose cameras did, whose cameras did they hack to, to, to which traffic did they draw?" It's not even that. I know, like a couple of years ago, there used to be a website that published um, with these Wi-Fi cameras their IP addresses because a lot of the manufacturers were just opening up. The as soon as you connected to your network, it would broadcast and say, "I'm here." And then, so there was a website. There was, I think, it was a security man website where they were just showing how bad this is, and you could just randomly go onto an IP and see the person's house.
0: That's insane, right there.
1: You know what? Uh, this man,
0: uh, your this man it, has a meeting uh, <laughs> a, it, a few minutes away, and and I don't want to keep you from that meeting. There is no way we're not going to have to chat again, because I mean, you've raised so many issues, my mind is bursting. I probably sound uh, partially incoherent to our listeners, <laughs> usually. Uh, yeah, so um, that's because my mind is just racing because of some of the stuff you've raised, and we have to have this conversation again. Yeah, I look forward to it. Man, so ladies and gentlemen, it is Dr. Wukosi uh, Mariuate, and it is Dr. To You. Shout out to, the, to being a Fulbright scholar, bro.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, man. So the, and the PhD is in uh, data science? In com- in computer science, but with the focus, I was in machine learning. All right, man. Well, only the best for this show. Thank you so much for being here, bro. Thank you. Many, many thanks to Bukosi Marivate for speaking to me. He's definitely worth following on Twitter, folks. Uh, His handle is at Bukosi, uh, which is at V-U-K-O-S-I. And, of course, do let us know what you make of the issues we touched on in our conversation. You can holler at us on Twitter, at African Roundup, or use the ATRU hashtag to get our attention. That's nearly it for this week. This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by the African Tech Conversation Series, which features in-depth chats with leading figures from Africa's tech and innovation scene. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the next season of the series lands in just two weeks, featuring the likes of Solomon Asefa, Aline Blaubor, Chad Larson, and others. But while you're waiting for that to drop, you can catch up on some of the interviews you might have missed by heading to africantechroundup.com. Click on African Tech Conversations in the main menu or search for African Tech Conversations on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or any other great podcatcher out there. And so that's the week's show, folks. Please do join me again next week on africantechroundup.com. And to those of you attending SAP's Executive Digital Exchange, look forward to meeting you out in Cape Town. But for now, I'm Andile Masugu. Until next time, do take care,
1: Africa.